We've been on a series about how to rightly honor the Holy Spirit in our midst. And I want to continue on that. Dave set me up perfectly for this morning. And he was talking about developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit last week. So important, so good. If you will turn, my beginning text is going to be in John chapter 16. I would like to speak today about how to be led by the Holy Spirit. How many are expert in that? Oh, nobody? How many, how many have had fails in that? A lot of times. Okay. There's a few honest people. I can live both hands for sure. So let's see what Jesus said in his word about the Holy Spirit. Again, you are probably familiar with the passages that we're going to read, but there may be something new that can strike you in a way that will change your life forever. Because this is what I know. When the Lord plants something in us and marks us with it, here's the reality. What we get marked with, we have power to share with others in a way that will mark them as well. John 16. Tell me, is this mic messing up or is it? We're good? Okay. Um, John 16. I want to read verses 13 through 15. Jesus, of course, in the upper room speaking to his disciples. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, so important that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all the truth. So he's got an agenda and he's steering us somewhere, and that somewhere is to lead us to truth so that we will embrace it and live it. Would you agree with that? Okay. He will guide you into all truth, and he will, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Notice, notice the repetition of the word speak. He'll not speak of his own, but he's going to speak something and he's going to disclose it to you. He's going to show you what is to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it, will reveal it to you. So he's all about the exaltation of Jesus, taking what is real about Jesus and imparting it to us. This is all important. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So everything that the Father has is Jesus and uh, Jesus has. And he said the Holy Spirit is delegated to take all of that and reveal it to us and make it alive in us. That's super powerful. So here's a couple things. If we're going to be led by the Spirit, if you have a leader... It's good to know how that leader operates, what their agenda is, right? How many have been in college? How many have been in school where you learn your teachers, don't you? You learn what they want. You learn what they want to hear. And if you're a good test taker, then you learn what they're going to ask on the test and what they want to hear from you. Even if you don't agree with it, you give it back to them. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Here's the deal. His language is the truth. So if we don't speak truth, we can't walk with him or understand what he's saying. If we don't love the truth, if we don't speak truth, here's Psalm 15. Oh Lord, who can abide in your tent? Who can dwell on your holy mountain? The one who walks in integrity, the one who works righteousness, and the one who speaks truth in his heart. What can that possibly mean to speak truth in our heart? It means that there's an honesty and there's a transparency about us and about how we interact with the Lord and how we interact with other people. Because if you're dealing with the spirit of truth, he doesn't do deception. He doesn't do image. 
He doesn't do pretend. He doesn't do social media. He always deals with reality because the word truth, the Greek word aletheia, basically means re what is real versus what is only image. And he is the spirit who goes after the substance and the reality of what we are. So if we don't speak that language, if we speak the image language, if we speak the pretend, if we speak the mirror language or the social media language, then we're not going to understand what he's saying because he doesn't speak that language. He speaks the language of truth. And so the sooner that we can love the truth and be fully transparently honest with him, the better off we're going to be because he's going to lead us. And if he's talking truth and we're playing image we're not even going to understand what he's saying how did it work out at the beginning of the book of Acts this is so important chapter 5 two people that are known very well to the apostles clearly Ananias and Sapphira do you feel like that was a really big overreaction on God's part I mean, they lied about a faith promise. They saw that Barnabas got recognized because he sold a piece of land. He put it at the apostles' feet so that they could give to the poor so that nobody would have any need. And Ananias and Sapphira clearly talked to each other and go, dang, that was cool. Did you see how everybody went? Hallelujah! He goes, you know, we got that piece of land. Let's, let's do that. Let's sell the land. And whatever we can get for it, we're going to give this amount and we'll say that that's what we sold it for. They still gave something, y'all. They gave something substantial. But here's the thing. Why is this such a big deal to the Holy Spirit? Right off the bat, like you're trying to get into a church growth program. The worst possible thing you can do is have people fall dead at the pulpit. Don't do that. But the Lord revealed to Peter, and he comes in, Ananias comes in, gives him the money, and he said, is this, is this what you sold the land for? He goes, yeah, it was for that much. Peter's response was, why have you let Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Dude, the language that we speak here is truth. You're playing the image game because you want everybody to think you're super spiritual. And what happened? Dad. His wife comes in a little bit later. Sapphira. Is this what you sold the land for? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we sold it for. Dead. Is that an overreaction on God's part? Come on, y'all. You don't like this. Let's think about it. Why would God do this at the very beginning of the church? Because he was not willing for the issue of truth to be compromised from the beginning because it would taint everything that he wanted to do. It would quench and grieve the Holy Spirit because when we start playing image games, the Holy Spirit, we don't even understand what he's saying and we grieve him and we quench him and without him, we're nothing. And God determined, not me, not Peter, God determined that is not going to happen in my house. It is not going to happen. Truth is not expendable. Truth is absolutely essential because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. 1 John 5, 6, if you've never read it, it says, it is the spirit who testifies. This is so powerful. It doesn't say because he's the spirit of truth. It says because the spirit is the truth. That's what it says. It's the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Like that's talking about his very essence of who he is. So if we want to be led by the spirit who speaks the language of truth, we need to what? We need to love and learn the truth. Nathaniel comes up to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, there's an Israelite in whom there's no deception. 
I see in your heart, you're a truth lover. We're going to go places together. You're a truth lover. And if we're not truth lovers, this is the reality. We can shout and we can say whatever we want to say. But the Holy Spirit speaks that language. And if we don't speak that same language, we're not going to be led by him. He's the leader. So, the fact that his language is truth means he perfectly aligns with the scripture, right? In the next chapter, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy by your truth. Your word is the truth. This is the instrument that he uses to change us into Christ's image. He requires honesty and transparency to walk with him. If we want to be led by the Spirit, we got to understand what his agenda is and how he operates. That's number one. Secondly, his agenda is always to make much of Jesus and not of us. How many don't like that? You don't like that? I wanted God to make much of me. Well, maybe a little bit. God, we want to give you most of the glory, but maybe we could get a little bit like, he's like, no. The Holy Spirit is fixated on this. He's going to take the things that are from me and he's going to disclose them to you. He's going to glorify me. What does glorify mean? It means to show Jesus for who he actually is so that everybody goes, wow. Like we were singing this morning. There's no one like him. There's no one like you. And there's only one word. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. He's got a mission. He's on a mission to glorify Jesus. So, if we're on a mission to glorify ourselves, is the Holy Spirit going to lead us? Is he going to be our leader? If he's got these, these core values, Jesus gave core values, truth, and he's laser-like focused on glorifying the Son of God and revealing him for who he is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So, if we want his fullness then we need to get on his program. We, we, we don't use the whole, when we talk about being led by the spirit, sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of a flavor of, we use him to get something to happen. And that's not the way that it works. We've raised seven children, so I know this story and this scene really well. You're at the grocery store, Publix. And here's one of your kids. They've got your hand. They're pulling you over. What, 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 what is it? Come, come over here. I want, I want you to see something. And they're pulling you over to the Publix Bakery. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want a chocolate chip cookie. No, baby. We're not going to get a chocolate chip cookie right now. But I want it. It's okay. You're not going to get a chocolate chip cookie right now. And parents, if you give it to them, then shame on you. Whatever they cry for, they never get. Otherwise, you're training them to throw a fit. If they do it loud enough, long enough, and embarrass you enough, then they're going to get what they want. And you're training them to do that. Don't do that. Come on, this is good preaching. Parents, don't train your kids to throw a fit to get what they want. They never get it 100% of the time. You know what will happen? They'll stop doing that. So this is what happens with us when we learn, because we want the Holy Spirit to come and give us what we want. And so, I want you to look at something in the bakery. No, baby, you're not getting the chocolate chip cookie. Well, I prayed about it, and I have peace about it. <laughs> you have peace about a chocolate chip cookie. No, baby, you're not going to get a chocolate chip cookie. But the Lord told me I could have a chocolate chip cookie. 
That's the wrong Lord. That's the Lord called your flesh. And that's why we're not letting you do that because we're training you to love and serve the true Lord Jesus. This is how the Holy Spirit works, does he not? Sometimes we can act like a child in the store. So being led by the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's a pretty pungent quote. How many like pungent quotes? I read them because I don't want to take the heat for it, but I want somebody else to say it. So here's what I'm doing. A.W. Tozer said, said this. Now, just hear what he said. It's, it's really good. The evil practice of using God must be abandoned. We must submit ourselves joyously to God and let him work through us to achieve his own purposes. That's pretty strong language, the evil practice of using God. Come on, y'all. Can, can you be honest enough? I know I can. To say that you've done that before? Try to manipulate God and and the Holy Spirit into doing something for you. If he's leading us, he's directing us. And his passion is that the Son of God will be glorified in our lives, through our lives, yes, but that Jesus would be made known. That's his passion. And so... If we're on the same page and we're speaking truth and we're honest and we're transparent, then the Holy Spirit can lead us. Romans chapter 8. This is one of the only two New Testament passages that specifically uses the phrase, be led by the Spirit. And it's very informative and instructive. So let's read it. We're going to read Romans chapter 8 verses 11 through 17. Romans 8. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if he dwells in you, say amen. If he dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's, that's good news, but what's it mean? What's he talking about? That means he's going to heal me when I'm sick. I, I know it's hardest to heal, but that's not what it means. That means it's going to make me excited so that I can dance. I, I like to dance, but that's not what he's saying here. There's, what is the first rule of a scripture interpretation? Context. The setting that it's in. So read it. Come on, follow me. That You have a Bible. Let's read the, and get the setting. Verse 12. So then, so is a connecting word. We're not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. For, another connecting word, because if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. That means eternal death. But if by the Spirit... You are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Verse 14. For, because, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. What is the context of that verse? God's going to speak to me in the still small voice about what color of a Corvette to buy. It's talking about that the Holy Spirit, when he leads us, he's leading us to something. Now, there's more. We're going to get to in just a couple of verses here. But the first thing that he says included in being led by the Holy Spirit is that the sins and the fleshly junk that still cling to us from our old life, he's going after it. How many don't want to be led by the Spirit anymore? It comes with a territory. You can't pick and choose and go, Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me and give me a glorious prophetic word. And I want you to give me words of knowledge that are so accurate that people are going to fall on the ground and cry. Well, he may want to do that. I'm all for it. But he's going, look, there's a program I already have in place. 
And this program of being led by me, we're going after that junk on your life that is part of the character because he's not willing to reveal his power through us, which is real. I'm not mocking at all. It's real. Without addressing our character first. He's not willing. Well, we can do this all day long. The miracles, the signs and wonders. He's like, no, baby. I want to talk about your drinking problem. I want to talk about your foul mouth. I want to talk about the way that you treat your wife. That's what I want to talk about. But Lord, signs and wonders and revival. No, this is what I want to talk about. That may come later, but I've got an agenda right now. And if you're going to be led by me and I'm your leader, after all, he is the... Holy Spirit, if you have a deaf spirit, what are you? If you have a mute spirit, what are you? If you have the Holy Spirit, what are you? He makes us like himself. He's holy. So he's not going to give us, I know we want to separate this. But that's not the way it works. He is a person, and we don't separate him, and he won't go to the bakery every time. He's going to deal with the things. He has been sent to take the things of Jesus and to reveal them to us so that it changes us. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Interestingly enough, the only other New Testament passage that speaks of that phrase of being led by the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 5, which we won't turn to. But the context is exactly the same, that he is giving us victory over the deeds of the flesh. So who wants to be led by the Holy Spirit? Come on! He wants to make us holy. He wants to deal with our character. It's not okay. Like all the stuff that happens, I don't really know why this is. It shouldn't be this way. But it seems like the history, I'm, I'm a big fan and student of revival history, and it seems like in settings where the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in gifts, there's also the greatest moral feelings at the same time. Okay, this should not be so. Because if we're being led by the Spirit, He brings the whole package. That's what it means. This is another thing that He does. So moving in to verse 15 and 16, 17, so powerful. So let's read this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are the children of God. This is another thing that the Holy Spirit does when we lead him. I hear people all the time who say that they struggle with believing or realizing or accepting the fact that God really loves them. And the reason is there's some disconnect with the Holy Spirit because what he does inside of us is that he shows us in such a deep and emotive and moving way that we are the sons of God, that there is a God cry that comes out of us. You go, you're my father. I love you. That's from the Holy Spirit. You belong to me. That's the Abba cry. That's the God cry that comes out. And it's from the Holy Spirit. He does that too. Hope does not disappoint, Romans 5, 5. Because the love of God has been poured out. The Greek word is flooded into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he gave to us. If, if you struggle with grasping, feeling the depths of the love of the Father for you. The Holy Spirit is your answer. As he leads you, he will make that happen. But here's the deal again. We can't accept, okay, I want number two and number three, but I don't want number one, number five, number seven. That's not the way it works. We want a person. Holy Spirit, you lead us. Right? 
Spirit-led, he leads us into his agenda, which is glorifying Jesus. He speaks truth, and he deals in truth with us. Beautiful. Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit character are designed to work together. When one part is minimized, there is no longer Holy Spirit fullness. I should read that again. Maybe just for my own sake. I I want to say amen to it. Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit character are designed to work together. When one part is minimized, there is no longer Holy Spirit fullness. How many want fullness in your life? All right, there's only a few now. Lord, help. Let's embrace all of his working. Let's let him reveal the things in us that he sees but that we deny. Are you okay with that? Let's just take a second. Just close your eyes for a minute. Lift your hands up and say, Lord, help me to be truthful, be transparent, to welcome you in all your dealings in my life. Amen. So good. Okay, let's have a little family talk here about the principles of divine guidance. I've got four principles of divine guidance. And um, you might be chafed by some of them. It's okay. Doing the wrestle is the best way to own the truth. Okay, principle number one. The safest and surest guidance in our lives grows out of consistent relationship with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come, the safest guidance doesn't come from prophecy or spiritual gifts. The most reliable guidance doesn't come from a dream that you had. I've had all of these. The most reliable guidance in your life are the things that the Holy Spirit has worked inside of you over a period of time when you have walked with him. It's part of the scriptures that he's quickened to you. It's part of the passions that he's put inside of you. It's the safest form of guidance. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do what he put inside of me. I'm supposed to be what he's marked me with. That's the safest form. Can I be honest, y'all? I don't think he gives a rip about what color car you buy. I don't think he cares what kind of clothes you wear unless they're not modest. Um, I don't think he cares about those kind of things. I think he's okay. If we're being led by him and we're walking with him, you know, you can get stuck in a swirl where you have to, you overthink everything. Like, probably not. But there's big things that are important. And he wants to lead us to his purposes, and the safest way is to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit to where we live in a transparent, honest way before him, where we embrace him as the truth revealer and the truth teller and the truth maker and let him change us. It's so healthy. It really is. Listen, it's so healthy to confess your sins. Literally healthy. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, I'm not saying that you should be stupid. If you're a guy lusting after a girl, don't tell her. You're you're an idiot. Don't do that. Tell Jesus and tell a friend or tell a spiritual leader, I'm struggling with this. But to expose the reality of what we are, we're getting on the truth train. That's where the Holy Spirit is always riding. He's always riding there. Get on the truth train. That's the surest, safest way. And when and as we walk with the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. He actually places his desires inside of us. And they're not for chocolate chip cookies. They're for Jesus to be glorified. Lord, how would you be glorified in my life? This was the turning point. You guys have heard the story. I'm not going to tell it again. But the turning point in us having a larger family, the Lord wanted it. My wife wanted it. I didn't want it. 
The turning point was when the Holy Spirit shifted my heart. When I prayed the prayer and I said, Lord, I, I acknowledge that you're dealing with me about this, but I, I can't do it. I'm stuck. Help me to want to do what you want me to do. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of language that I speak. Come forth honestly and tell me you're stuck and that you don't want to do what I want you to do. That's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm going to do. Boom. I'm going to turn. I'm going to change your heart. And he did it. He did a miracle. Like within a few months, I was like, let's do this thing. I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but let's do it. He places his desires inside of our hearts. Philippians 2 verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13. Because it's God who's working inside of you to produce both the desire and the power to do his will. You can't lose with that combination. What in the world? That verse has marked me so much. I'm like, Lord, I need the desire and I need the power. Like, I ain't got nothing. He's like, okay, okay, I can work with that. Let's start working on it. Sometimes the way he puts the desire in you, eat the scroll. Eat the scroll. Eat it. Chew it. That's what meditation is. You, you chew. Who is it, Al? Is that Al Reapel in here? Oh, there's Darlene. Al gave me some jerky that he made from goose and from duck that he had chopped. He made a little dried jerky, you know. He said, try this. He said, here's what you do. He said, it's a little dry, but you put it under your lip. Like back in your former life, any of you put snuff in there? He said, you put it in there like that. And he said, it'll get, it'll get soft and pretty soon all that flavor will start to come out. Duck and goose. Jerky. The word of God is the same way. Put it, put it in there. I write it on cards because I'm old school and y'all put it on your phones. I'm like, no. My phone is not going to be my ever forever companion. <laughs> Don't bury it with me when I die, y'all. Don't. Do not do that. Give it away. Sell it. Do not bury my phone with me. Meditate on it. Think about it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that the Lord will make your way prosperous and give you success in what he's sending you to do. Joshua, who wants to fill the shoes of Moses? Big shoes? Went up on the mountain and got the tablets and saw the finger of God right in stone. Big shoes where the Lord struck his own sister and brother with leprosy because they criticized him. Weren't you afraid to talk against my servant Moses who I speak to face to face? Big shoes. Joshua, you think his knees were knocking? I think he was pretty intimidated. Look, but here's what you need to do. Put the scroll in there. Keep it in there. Let it ruminate, Richard. That's what we do when we meditate on the scripture. That's how it gets down in your belly. I don't know if y'all used to do this or not, but when we were kids with BB guns, you'd have BB gun fights, you know? And did you ever put BBs in your mouth to keep them? Did Jeff, you did. That's why. That explains a lot. Um, <clears throat> but then mama would say, get those babies out of your mouth. Because she knew if they stayed in there long enough and you're running and you hit the ground, you're going to swallow those babies. You're going to choke on those babies. And we're not going to take you to the hospital. You're just going to have to get them out somehow. <laughs> the word of God. Meditate. The safest and surest guidance we want to be led by the Holy Spirit grows out of a current relationship with him that we're walking. Honest, open, loving truth, eating the scroll, walking with him and responding to what he deals with. 
Second principle of being, getting better, improving, and receiving divine guidance. Number two, the gift of prophecy was not given to the church as a means of personal guidance. How many are chafing right now? You don't like that. The gift of prophecy was not given to the church as a means of personal guidance. It was given for edification, exhortation, and comfort, not to tell you what to do. Because we're supposed to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in what we're supposed to do. And as far as I know, there is no example after Pentecost in Scripture of a person receiving a word of prophecy from another person that was directional in nature. It's not the purpose of the gift. Why? Because the Lord doesn't want us to be dependent upon somebody else for their gift. He wants us to be dependent upon himself. Now, I believe in prophets. I believe in prophecy 100%. But Jesus did not give the fivefold gifts of ministry to be a substitute for himself. He gave them to keep calling you and to be the voice like John the Baptist in the wilderness there, there's the lamb. Follow him. What you need is not in me. What you need is in him. And so our message in ministry is always, he's your answer. I tell people in counseling, I, I'm the dude who only sings one note. It's just really monotonous. One note. I tell people, if you default to human flesh, you don't know this verse is in there in Jeremiah where he says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. We trust in the Lord. Revelation may be present in prophecy, and often is, but it's not to direct us in what we're supposed to do. Now, you, you may be thinking, this is the closest thing to that that I can think of in Acts chapter 13, where you have these prophets and teachers that are gathered together in Antioch. They're seeking the Lord. They're trying to figure out what's next, Lord, for the church. And as they're fasting and praying, there's, there's a group of them there. There's one, two, three, four, five, six of them at least that are there. And so, and so all the seven. So there's seven. They're fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. What is next? While they were ministering, this is Acts 13, verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, do I believe that was prophecy? Yes, I do. Because there's prophets there. Most, most, most likely explanation. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You say, well, that was direction. Yes, but it wasn't individual direction. You should marry this person. It wasn't like that. It was for the church and how it was going to move forward because it was a directional word for the entire church. You need to go after the Gentiles. These are the guys that I've chosen to head this up. We're going to evangelize the Gentiles, the pagans that have 300 million gods. We're going after them. That was, so maybe you could say that, but here's the thing. They did it together. It wasn't me giving you a word and saying you need to quit your job or you need to, like, that. listen, y'all, we've gotten, in my opinion, okay, we've gotten way overbalanced in that. We put way too much weight on that. We put way too much weight on a dream that we had. How many have had dreams and, like, you still don't understand what they were, but you felt like they were from the Lord? Is anybody else other than me? Like, so, so look, why are we putting all of our weight on that? Here's the safe place. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Let him impart inside of us and give us conviction as far as what we're supposed to do. The gift of prophecy is not intended to be a substitute for the Holy Spirit himself and our relationship with him. And there's really interesting um, stories in the book of Acts. So flip over to chapter 16, and then we're going to go to 19. This is interesting to see how this played out. Because y'all, here's what happens. And this is just a family thing. This is just our family here. But we are Pentecostal. We are charismatic. I've seen some of the craziest stuff. I've seen some of the craziest, what I call prophetic manipulation. That is crazy. One dude I knew 
that at least to several different girls told them that he had a dream that they were married. No, you're a manipulator. You're going to get a dream for her. No. You're a manipulator. No, that's not okay. I call it throwing the God card. Just like get the cookie. I prayed about it and I have peace about the chocolate chip cookie, mommy. No. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't give peace. I'm just saying it's really easy. We know the lingo. Yeah, I have heard, I'm not going to give you specific examples. I don't want to out anybody, but I've heard stories that I just want to sit there and go, for real? You, are you telling that to me? Throwing the God card. If something's real inside and you have a track record, this is the way I look at it. So as leadership, this is how we look at it. If you have a track record of walking with Jesus and following him, then we're going to trust your sense of what the Lord is saying to you. If we know that you have a proven life, of course, we're going to trust that. But for others, for young believers that have a very rocky history, if you come in and you want to talk and you immediately throw the God card, the Lord told me this and he told me that and I had five dreams to confirm it. We're like, well, what are we going to say to that? Either God lied or you lied. We know what we think, but... It'll, it'll all play out. Here's the thing. If you're confident and you know that the Lord has put guidance inside of you, you don't need to pat it and try to bring God's weight along with it by saying, throwing the God card on it. The Lord told me. Well, maybe he did. How many have ever missed it with the Lord telling you something? Come on, y'all. That, that's Everybody. Yeah, there's somebody back there going like this. So that, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all, I've missed so many times, but I thought it was the Lord. I don't mind telling off on myself. Y'all know my history of my, of my business, how bad it was at the beginning and how bad I was at it. But then after, I would say maybe 15 years, Joe, it started to get better. It started to prosper. I started to actually have a little bit of extra money. <clears throat> and so my brother, who's a doctor... Um, with way more money than me. Um, he said, hey, I've been investing in this thing and it's going really well and it's gone up like 50% and whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds really good. He goes, well, if you, if you want to, you know, you can put in whatever you want to put in, which is, and, and, and be, be there and, and I'll just let it ride with mine and then, you know, we'll settle up after we get out of it. And so I prayed about it. I felt peace. I talked to my wife about it. And I wrote two different checks for $5,000 each. And within one year, the whole investment went under. And how much did I lose? $10,000. In that same kind of time period, there was a company that was a meta, it was a Christian-owned, and it was a medical. Uh, they, they had developed a product that treated burns, and they used it in the military. It was supposed to be an amazing product that cured burns and helped them to heal up. And this was a Christian startup and heard about it. I, I was interested. I might pique my interest and talk to my wife about it. Uh, thank you, thank you, baby, for never bringing these stories up since then. Um, <clears throat> we need a new car, and you blew all our money. So... That time, Joe, I wrote a check for $18,000. Put it in that stock. I'm going to be in on the ground floor. When this thing takes off, it's going to be like Microsoft, baby. It seemed good. And within a couple years, the whole thing went bankrupt. And I lost $18,000 more. But I had peace. I had peace about it. I felt good about it. I think I even told Diane, one of those investments, you know what, I, I feel so good about this. I would even, I would do this even if I knew I was going to lose the money. I feel so good about it. <laughs> I, I really said that. And the Lord's like, I'll write that down. 
<laughs> I'll use that later. That's going to be really good. You remember when you said that? I'm like, Lord, it's okay. <laughs> but I do thank my wife for not bringing that up. Um, I prayed about it. I thought I had peace. But guess what? I was wrong. Or maybe the Lord just wanted to extract some money, so I wouldn't put confidence in it. I don't know. But in any case, it wasn't a win. Um, principle number three. Oh, I'm talking about manipulation. How many have had somebody in college tell you that the Lord spoke to them that you were supposed to marry them? <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, you're a studly guy, so I can see why. Um, <laughs> there, were, there was a girl when I was at Southeastern, you know, they, they just invented fire in the wheel back then, uh, Stone Age. Um, but like she, I was already 110% committed to Diane, 110%. Never wavered on that one time. I just knew. I was like, no. If she'll have me, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> this girl in church, she didn't tell me directly, but it's like she told all the friends around me. The Lord spoke to me that Perry's supposed to be my husband. And I'm like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't manipulate like that. That's stupid. That's the same as this. The Lord promised me I could have a chocolate chip cookie. No, he didn't. He cares about your diabetes. <laughs> we, y'all, this is one thing that we need to think about, okay? Trust me, I'm not, I'm not cynical. I'm not jaded about all these things. I've, I've seen a lot, but it doesn't make me that way. But we need to think about how sometimes we act hyper-spiritual. Listen, if you have the goods, you don't have to do that. That's out of insecurity, trying to add God's weight to your scale. You know what? He's not going to get on there if it's not him, so just, it ain't going to pan out for you. You don't need to do that. If the Lord has said it, he's going to confirm it. Simple as that. Here's the better way. Here's the better way with all spiritual gifts. I prophesy over a lot of people. Here's the better way. This is what I sense that the Lord is saying. But you judge it. Because you're actually responsible to judge it. I know people have shipwrecked their lives. But they still, they were responsible to judge that word. Because the Bible says for us, listen, here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't despise prophetic words. Don't do that. Test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Back in the day, if you all have been around prophetic circles very long, Kim Clement was the most outstanding and respected prophet, I think, in the world. He prophesied the 2000 election with incredible accuracy that it was going to be disputed, it was going to come down to Florida, they were going to be counting ballots, and at the end, Bush would win. That's incredible. That's incredible. I know stories of Kim Clement where he would go through, he had amazing boldness. He was quite a musician too. Um, walking down the aisle, grabbed the guy's hands and started slapping his hands, saying, what have you been doing with these hands? And the dude was a child molester. Oh, that's way beyond my depth. So the Lord used him in really accurate and powerful ways. And so back before he was super famous, he came to the church that I was on staff at three different times. And one of those times I was able to get lunch with him. And so I had lunch with him and I said, Kim, the times in your ministry where you have missed it on the word of knowledge, where you have gotten it wrong, what were the things that caused that to happen? And he said, it's when... Either I knew the person personally and I knew things about them or somebody told me things about the person and he said it just can get all mixed up inside of you and you're not sure what's God and what's that. 
He prophesied over me in that church. I still have it in my office. Two type pages of prophecy. This is the truth. Half of it was right and half of it was wrong. Do I throw him under the bus? No. Because the pastor of that church told him things about me and his vision for me, and he incorporated that into prophecy. It just, it just bled through. And it was exactly what he told me. And I'm like, that's amazing. Do I throw down prophecy? Do I think Kim Clement's a false prophet? No. He's just human. He's human. And the gift of prophecy, we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's not perfect. We don't know the whole story. We only get a piece of it. And so for us to rely upon that for our guidance is not safe. It's not safe. Principle number three is this. Understanding the spirits. Are you guys doing okay? Can you give me another few minutes and I can finish these four? Okay. Number three, understanding the Spirit's direction is safer in community. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. So illuminating in in the book of Acts how this works. And we kind of see how it shakes out. Acts 16, verse 6 says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they got launched out of Acts chapter 13 in Antioch, and they're like, let's go evangelize the Gentiles. Come on, Barnabas, we're going after it. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to stop wherever we can. And they're thinking a certain direction, and they try to go there, and the Holy Spirit's like, nope. They try to go here, and the Holy Spirit's like, nope. How did that happen? I suspect, we don't know exactly what it was, but since it calls um, that the spirit of Jesus, to me, it was some kind of an inner, how many have had an inner red light before? Well, the Holy Spirit just goes, nope, you're not doing that. No, no. If you're a parent, you go, I said no. Look in my eyes. (laughs) No. That's what was happening in them. They're like, but Lord, you told us to evangelize the Gentiles. This makes sense to go this way. He's like, no. They're like, okay. So this happens twice. Verse 7, after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. Okay, if not there, then here. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. No. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, let's listen to how Luke phrases this. When he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, duh. But they didn't do duh. Just because Paul had a vision, they didn't go, oh, we know exactly what we're doing. They sat down and had a council. The word concluded means that they sat down, they put two and two together, they put everything, okay, this is what we know. He said no there, he said no here, and you had that dream, and so how does this all go together? But they did it as a community. Even though Paul had the vision, they're sitting down, and that's what that means. They concluded. They looked at the evidence, and they go, oh, This is what the Lord's saying. We're going to Macedonia. I think that's remarkable. They viewed the guidance of the Holy Spirit not as being obvious, of course. Well, we thought before it was obvious, of course, and he said no and no. So now let's sit down. Okay, let's all talk about it. Luke includes himself there, and we all concluded, no, this is the Lord. We need to go to Macedonia. I think that's remarkable. It's safer in community. Here's Proverbs 12, verse 15. Are you ready for this? I did not say this. The Lord said it. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Anybody have that on your refrigerator? Anybody want that on your refrigerator? Okay. I was going to call you out, Malia, but I'm not going to. Not because of that, but because of what you have in your mirror. You have Proverbs 12.1 on your mirror. Yeah, which says that he who doesn't listen to counsel and correction is stupid. Um, That's another good one for the refrigerator. Okay, principle number four, 
Our own desires can distort our understanding and application of a prophecy. Our own desires can distort our understanding and application of a prophecy. Acts chapter 19. Let's, let's look at this. This is so interesting. Acts 19 verse 21. We're going to go through a few verses here in 19, 20, and 21 real quick. So 19 verse 21. This is Paul. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Why did he purpose in the spirit? Because I think he knew he had conviction, just like when Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He knew that the Lord had put that in his heart. Because when Jesus called him, he told Ananias, I have, he's a chosen instrument of mine to go and to bear my name before kings and priests, and I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name. How many want that calling? Oh, you're just like the apostle Paul. No, stay away from that. So Paul purposed in his spirit, or in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he already had set his heart. The Lord had put that in his heart. Chapter 20 of Acts, verses 22 to 25. And now behold, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus. Now behold, bound in the spirit, bound by the spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit put it inside of me, and I've got to go. That's what Paul knew. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. How do you suppose the Holy Spirit testified to him in every city? I believe it's pretty clear. Every church he went to, they had a word for him. They said, dude... Don't go to Jerusalem because bonds and afflictions await you there. But he already had in his spirit he was supposed to go there. And then chapter 21, the big guns are coming out. Verse 3, when we came in the sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Verse for after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, verse 5, while they all with wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. So they're telling him by the Spirit, they had a sense, they knew what was going to happen, but they're telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. He already had a conviction in his heart to go to Jerusalem. What's happening here? Verses 10 through 14 of chapter 21. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So prophet Agabus is like, he's the big dog. He prophesied the famine back in chapter 11. He's the only New Testament prophet that we actually have his name and know what he did after the day of Pentecost. So Agabus comes down. This is Kim Clement, okay? He's coming down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, listen, when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent remarking the will of the Lord be done. What just happened here? The Holy Spirit kept telling him they were picking up on what was going to happen. When you go to Jerusalem, dude, it's going to be bad. They're going to bind you. They're going to... That's why he was martyred. But they assumed the word of Agabus wasn't, wasn't directional. Agabus didn't say, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus just said, this is what's going to happen when you get there. So if he didn't go there, Agabus' word would have been false, would it not? What was happening here? Their preconceived idea was that, of course, God wants to spare him from being bound and tortured and eventually martyred. Of course, we just assumed that. But Paul's mindset was, no, 
The Holy Spirit's agenda is to glorify the Lord Jesus, and I've got to get before Nero and all of these other kings down there at Rome so I can preach the gospel to them before I go out in a blaze of fire and smoke. Come on, y'all. It fires me up. Because we think, save your life, save your life, save your life. Of course the Lord wants to save your life, save your life. And Paul's like, no. He made me for a purpose. He told me I was going to suffer great things for his name. And I was going to bear witness of his name before kings and rulers. That's more important. I don't count my life dear as anything that I might fulfill the call that God has placed on my life. Here's the thing. Paul was in tune and being led by the Holy Spirit, and he knew how to sort out. Even though the Holy Spirit was telling him through all of these people, dude, this is going to happen in Jerusalem. He's like, I know. He told me. And I'm about to, he told Timothy, in the last writing that he had in 2 Timothy chapter 4. My time has come. I've run the race. I've finished the course. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering at the altar. That's how I want to go out. Not sitting on my lazy boy eating bonbons. I'm going out giving witness to the glory, the greatness, and the majesty of the Son of God. Let that be the way that I go out. See, for us, we're like, no, 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 Paul, we need you. He's like, you don't need me. I was raised up to testify to the greatness and the glory of the Lord Jesus and his gospel. Let's get on the agenda of the Holy Spirit. He's a truth teller. He's a truth maker. And he is all about making much of Jesus. If we get on that train, we're on the Holy Spirit's train. He will lead us. He will direct us. If we're on the self-protection train and the God bless me train and the God keep me from any suffering train, Holy Spirit's not on that train. Now, that might not be his will for us, for you, for me. But for some, it is. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1. I'll close with this. He said, I don't know what to choose. Because to stay here seems to be more needful for you because you need to be discipled. But for me, I want to, I want to go and get my heart's desire. I want to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I love you guys, but it's way better than you. Way better than you. I don't know what to choose. He goes, the issue is not whether I live or die. That's not the issue. The issue is whether Jesus Christ is glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. That's the issue. That's what I'm choosing. I'm choosing for him to be glorified. Whatever the cost is for me, that's glorious and beautiful. That testifies of the worthiness of Jesus more than anything else. I'll leave everything behind if you will only be glorified in my life when I go. That's powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the glory of the Son of God. Thank you for giving us the scroll that we can eat it. Thank you for giving us your spirit who trains us and teaches us to walk in the truth, to love the truth, to embrace the truth, and to live for the glory of the Son of God rather than for our own comfort. Thank you, Lord. Would you continue, Holy Spirit, to help us? We need your help. We're weak in all kinds of ways, and you know that. But we ask that you would help us and that you would instill in greater measure in us, even this day, the values that drive you, that we might be led and directed by you. Let it be so. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray for your blessing, your favor, your goodness to be upon them. Let your face shine upon them, Lord, and let the drawing of your spirit Keep drawing us to yourself. Lord, we ask for 
your fullness in our lives and your fullness in this place. Holy Spirit, it is our inheritance and we're asking that you would help us to rightly align with you so that your fullness could be seen and the demonstration of what you want to do in us and in this place would fully come to pass for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.